This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. It's right on the prom and then right next door to it there's this amazing circle of life um, kind of part and I just had a chat with the woman outside that she's up here from uh, Mitchellstown with her daughter and it's been raining so she hasn't got a chance to get out as much as she'd like to but it's really hit like winter's really hit in the last week but she had a couple of hours and she managed to venture out to the park and she was quite amazed and it's always nice I feel when someone comes in and views what you would think as being mundane as being an extraordinary experience for them. That's always nice and I mean Salt Hill is just beautiful anyway. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's all good. So from having that conversation I think it's a nice way to kind of introduce this documentary, The Quiet One. A mm-hmm. 2019 documentary about Bill Wyman, who was affectionately known as the Stone Face of the Rolling Stones. This documentary was directed by Oliver Murray. Trying to translate exactly what I said to you, what it might have been mundane and was captured by this actual armchair archivist, Bill Wyman. When I say armchair, I don't mean amateur in any way. He managed to document the entirety of. His, his time, his 31 years, I think, as the bass guitarist with the Rolling Stones. And it's quite fascinating. He did a really good job, Oliver Matt. That's Oliver his first Man. feature. It's his first mm-hmm. feature. We have to thank him for the screener because he oh did send God, us yeah. the screener. And, um, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him, which may happen later this week. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But we're hoping to speak to him about, first of all, how he got access and secondly everything that happened off camera because that's the most interesting part of any documentary a hundred (laughs) percent like for every moment that i was watching this as somebody as their first feature capturing what it meant yeah so you didn't know it was his first feature i didn't actually Um, know but i think you know you know this better than most but if you have 10 people directing the same documentary you've 10 different documentaries Oh, if I was so, to do this project, it's it's not about it's about how you approach it. Do you know what it is actually? It's like writing the documentary and deciding how you're going to tell the story is often the crux of it. Whereas people tend to criticise the documentary from the point of view of what was and what wasn't included, and often to gain access to any of the footage or any of the access that you have, there's a there's a kind of a, a question mark over can you cover all the topics but again that's everybody trying to docu- read uh, redirect a documentary yeah. whereas you know you have to appreciate it, a documentary in its totality which is it's dec- it's it's directed by one person mm-hmm. it's edited and the consensus is given by the director for that final cut and uh, that's what makes them so unique. But I loved this. I have to say, I really, really liked it. It's on general, general release right now in the US. 
-hmm. And it's coming to Europe, I think, in September. We don't have a release date yet, but um, it's on the way. And uh, I kind of can't wait for people over here to see it and to see the reaction on this side of the Atlantic. The reaction to the Rolling Stones, both sides of the pond, are kind of they're kind of put up in contrast within it. The vocabulary that's used to describe some of the things that happen, but an understanding of the footage, the huge amount of footage that was captured, and the work that Oliver Murray had to do to articulate that in a way. Well, to choose the footage. To escape out Bill Wyman's life from the footage is, is a huge achievement in itself. Oh my God, like... It's, it's just so much. I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it basically... He was the one member of the, the band who was obsessed with collecting information and collecting visuals. So he had a still camera when nobody had a still camera. Yeah. He had a video camera when Mick Jagger didn't have a video camera. <laughs> he had slideshows, he had projection machines, and he kept everything. So he kept everything from the small little sticker, the ticket, the poster from the small towns. He kept everything. He was essentially the sober member of the group. Like he was yeah. the guy who knows exactly what went down. Mm-hmm. He's, got, he's got dirt on everyone. <laughs> I imagine the reason why he has the archives is that they're saying, take it, man, and just don't ever show it to anybody. So he's got everything. He knows where the bodies are buried. Do you know what it is? <laughs> he knows where the bodies are buried. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's like in today's world... People are very wary of the designated driver. (laughs) Um, In today's world, people are very wary of how they act in public because, especially if you're in the public eye, because there's always a camera on you. Mm -hmm. People have access to recordable material, immediately broadcastable material 24-7. But at the time when (laughs) when he went about archiving this, and actually for me, Bill Wyman comes from an era where things were different. They were the first band to grow their hair long. He was... But this kind of archive doesn't happen by accident. No. And there is, and I know I'm skipping forward, but hopefully anybody who's listening to this has seen it already. And if you haven't, you should see it for this one reason only, is when they pan to his actual office slash archive and you pull back and you see the shelves, and you see the rows of mixtapes, and you see the original videotapes, and how they are labeled and filed. You see everything from uh, crazy cartoon characters to crazy posters from the 50s or beyond. You see every kind of video machine that has been used to play a video. (laughs) (laughs) You see crazy slide machines, projections, and you see kind of mad original cameras, like everything from Polaroids, crazy first digital, but beyond, before that, when it was just the little tape recorders and the mixers, he's got every piece of tiny piece of equipment that he came across on the road over all of these decades. Now, they're not just thrown in a corner or in a box or in an attic. They are filed and itemized and numbered, and they're on shelves, and they look beautiful. Now, 
they're not just thrown in a corner. But what you have to understand, I suppose, is that to get it to that state, he worked extensively to catalogue it and try and kind of put some sense on it. But he's, it's a life's work of archiving his own life's work. And I think that one of the things I have to say about Bill Wyman is that his mind is so unbelievably attractive. It's like reverse hoarders. He, like, he kept it all and then he spent years cataloging it all and gathering it all together and making sense of it, making sense of his own work. And I'm glad that he did because I'm particularly I'm going to draw your attention to one moment that struck where one of the band members had passed away, Brian had passed away, and then a couple of days later, within the week, they had a concert and they released butterflies out into the crowd. He had kept one of the butterflies and he has that mounted in a little case. There's photographs that fans give him of him on stage. There's all this, it's amazing. I cannot express it enough to watch this documentary just on the value of how amazing that footage is and to get that level of insight it's just it's well worth it it's like if you're a stones fan even if you aren't it's amazing to you can breathe in the air that these musicians were breathing first of all how many other groups compared to the rolling stones level of fame and notoriety and how many other bands had a sober guy in the corner collecting everything with this kind of archival mind didn't Very happen. few. It didn't, didn't happen. happen. They were so unique in their own way. So this kind of archive doesn't happen by accident. And this kind of access to this archive by Oliver Murray doesn't happen. It's rare to see. So I, I just I was captivated from the second it opened. It's told very well. You don't see his face for a very long time. Yeah. And it's focused on memories. So, yeah, you're right. You don't have to be a Stones fan to love it. It's, 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 a ca- it's a time capsule. Yeah. And it brings you with it in that capsule through their uh, trajectory from the time that they, you know, they had their U.S. breakthrough to, you know, their tax exile, all of that. I love that. I, I know. It was interesting <laughs> because, to see. I mean, obviously, the tax, other bands like the Kinks, had written songs about how the Labour government had like, it was like 70% on artists. It was like, you know, it was crazy money. 70% of their earnings need to be paid back. And that forced Bill Wyman to move from England, where he clearly had very rooted family ties, uh, to France. And the whole band had to move to France. And there was this interpretation that they all lived in the same house. It was very, But they didn't. No, they did. They moved to France for a period of time. Yeah, but they lived in different houses. Oh, they lived in different houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then out of that came Exile on Main Street, writing songs as a form of protest against the status quo. And I found it very interesting to be able to document that in a very real way for his words, looking back on what it meant for him. This meant, because this happened, I had to move away from my family. And I'm not saying that you'd always have sympathy for the the rich white guy. But in this instance, you actually do because it's so firmly established that these things were important for him and he fought so hard for the custody of his child and what that meant. And, and you know, I, I thought that was a very interesting point in the documentary where I found myself sympathising very strongly with him. Yeah, no, it's, it's just a very interesting insight. And, um, you know, we all wish we were on the road. It was great to see the uh, footage of the private plane 
and the pri and the bus behind. I mean, every everyone wants to be that person on the tour bus with the rock and roll band <laughs> and the biggest rock and roll band in the world. Just being on rock stars. Even for ten <laughs> ten minutes or fifteen minutes of fame, you know, everyone who would turn that down. I actually know quite a lot of people that would turn it down. Well, they're fools. But for me, it was a, <laughs> for me, you know what? I see. Would a you lot not of get on that bus for ten minutes? About ten minutes, yeah. But then there's aspects of what might go on that bus. Oh come on! I wouldn't stay no, genuinely, like you know, I mean, <laughs> seriously. I don't care who they are, but like like him, I I'm sure that I would have been very uncomfortable with a lot of the excessive drug use that allegedly went on. So you on. would have gotten off the bus and gone. I'm judging you, Rolling Stones. No, I don't judge them. I just don't want to be on the fucking bus, like, you know. Okay, well, you're in the minority, I would say. Probably, yeah, but sure, that's me. And I think that that was a bit about him. Like, when he went and did his, his military training, he realised that he had the ability now to stand up for himself and he moved away from his dad. And he had the ability to kind of go, look, at, I want to grow my hair long and I want to be a bassist. But when it happened that he was a bassist, this kind of mind that he has meant that he went down and he's like, I want to get a sound. So he modified his guitar in such a way and he inadvertently created a new guitar with a very unique sound. And that in itself made the Rolling Stones particularly unique in what they were bringing to America in terms of blues. And he was a cool nerd. Like, he was a really cool nerd. So, Sherita Darcy. Uh, so, Tracy Ferguson. It's 1972. It's actually 2019. No, it's 1972. Okay. And the Rolling Stones tour band pulls into an area and they're doing an amazing concert. Doesn't matter where, it's somewhere in the world. It's amazing. Girls are screaming. The cops are holding back the crowds. And they say, come on, everyone, get on the bus. Sharita, get on the bus. Let's go. Bring, come on to the next town. We'll go to the next town. We have another concert one hour down the road. And you would say, no, Rolling Stones. Oh, no, that's I not what I'm saying. I disagree with your lifestyle. That's not... The, so would you get on the bus? Of course I'm going to get oh on the bus. Oh, my God, okay. Good. You, of course I'm going to get on the bus. But for 10 minutes. <laughs> All I'm trying... No, that's not what I was saying. No. Okay. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get on the bus. That's great. And I go and have the experience. Would it be something that I would like to do for a long period of time? I'm not... In That's not the question. Almost famous. The question is, would you get on the bus? <laughs> yeah, get on the bus. You don't think beyond getting on the bus. It's Just get on like, the bus. Yeah, exactly. But no, of course, the, the Rolling Stones as a whole, I wasn't as aware of their musical impact at the time as this documentary made me aware. This and 20 Feet from Stardom, because it occurred to me that they had never seen the likes of a white band doing this before. This whole thing about looking back and the perspective of looking back and how it seems different when you look back, it made me think about a time where a lot of my friends were all big into music. We were the total music nerds. And we were kind of known in the town as being the guys who were into the alternative indie scene. And we'd always be coming up with these bands like Radiohead or Pablo Honey before anyone knew who they were and like, wow. cool stuff. And What you know, year was this? This was like, uh, I, uh, I am reluctant to say. Mm, but vaguely. We used to listen to vaguely. Dave Fanning on, on 2FM and it might have been in the 90s. And mm. <laughs> um, so at that time there was a band and the band was called Kosher. Right. And one of the guys, somebody's 
mum or dad or whatever had a video camera and they went around and they recorded stuff they played this video for us three years later and they managed to get into the town hall to rehearse they were playing on the stage and this was a big deal even though there was no audience and your mum's going around with the camcorder and he comes to one of the guys playing the keyboard he's like hey I'm trying to concentrate leave me alone you know these are all like young kids and stuff but we were all so serious like the guys were all so serious we're going to be the next big thing Tracy I have I have a surprise for you okay I have one of the singles that the guys recorded and actually it's actually on this video so this documentary is looking back these guys made it not a lot of bands made it but it's nice to have archive footage we have a track here from what the guys did it's called similar to the Rolling Stones it's called God's Clowns and it's very 1990s late 1990s okay are you ready Mm, not really have a listen How do you have this? The guy who recorded the song sent it to me. How does he have it still? He recorded it, and actually, one of the guys in the band owns a recording studio now. <laughs> Lakeland Studios in Glasson, in Athlone. It's very 90s. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. You can tell it's 90s, but you can. it's not bad. But it is, actually, you made a good point because yeah, there are so many talented bands that sprung up across the, the world. Forget about the country. Um, do you remember Toasted Heretic? Jesus, yeah. Well, you remember hearing of them. They were probably before your time. But Lyra would have been the big Irish band for me. Like, you know, it, talent is everything, but it's oh, timing. Mean, there are so many bands. Yeah, so, so many bands. The Radiators. That's amazing though, to hear that. To, um, yeah. To hear that little moment in time. But that's my point. A little band from, you know, the west of Ireland, and there's this little song, and when you listen to it, it's like, it kind of does hold, it holds up a lot better than some of the oh, other no, stuff that actually charted at the time. That's never the question, though, and we've talked about this before. It's not about talent. Talent is unquestionable. Mm. It's about luck. Luck is yeah. 90% of the success pinnacle. Yeah. You know, and it is, because you have, and it, that can be musicians, actors, you know, directors, dreamers of any kind. They can all be extremely talented. That's not in question. It's it's luck. It's it putting is. it out there. It's being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. It's meeting the right people at the right time. Yeah. That song, by the way, was written by Alan Kelly. You know, he works in... What are they doing now? I was just going to ask. He has such an interesting story, but he actually does work in a wedding band. And the details would be on our on our Facebook. <laughs> um, but Mike O'Dowd, he was also in the band, has Lakeland Studios in Glasson and in Athlone. And we'll provide that link also. No, I think it's really cool that they're in any kind of aspect of music making. You know, that's that's fantastic. Because now you're fast forwarding by, 
so many decades and you are, you know, we're talking about them from the early 90s. And it takes a lot because people diversify and they get older and they pay mortgages and they have kids and, you know, all of the realities of life converge. But if they're still making music, that's kind of cool. Well, I do, I, do, I do think that you've done them a great service in putting them on the podcast with the Rolling Stones <laughs> documentary. <laughs> I think oh. they'll probably always thank you for that. But, you know, that links in really, really well with Bill Wyman talks about when he moved to France, he met an artist who subsequently introduced him the music of Ray Charles. And he went home oh, and he started that was lovely. he started being obsessed with the music of Ray Charles and mm. then you have Bill Wyman who throughout this documentary is portrayed as the womanizer of the Rolling think about that for a second I know the womanizer of the Rolling Stones <laughs> who's the quiet one always the quiet one you have to watch and subsequently absolutely Stop. loved mm-hmm. Ray Charles's story and fell in love with his music and was blown away and eventually, and then his one, two, three, third wife, Suzanne, and himself are being interviewed. And he is telling the story about how they were at a Ray Charles gig and he was blown away with the emotion of which Ray Charles sang Georgia, which is a lot. And I think everything about that night, he was just blown away in general. Yeah, but just that song, Jesus. And he's sitting in the audience and trying to absorb it. And his friends say, let's go backstage. And he says, no, we can't, we can't go back and interfere with Ray Charles. After the gig, he's going to be in his own. Let's not interfere with that. And then someone comes up from backstage and comes to him in his seat and says, you know, Mr. Charles would like to meet you. Would you like to come backstage? So then he goes backstage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he... Uh, and the thing is, you do kind of... You do pause. Actually, you're right. You do pause because you think, well, it's Bill Wyman and it's Rolling Stones and he's saying it's such a big... But it, you, he is genuine. And then he goes backstage. He sees him and he talks to him. And just to cut through to... And there's, there's a, there is a, an amazing visual to this and interview for this but I I know I'm skipping but he says that he talks to him and he says oh my god you know it's amazing and Ray Charles said would you like to perform on my next album and he said no I'll never be good enough and he cries and it's amazing because there is there is an established humility to the man throughout the documentary always that's that, always that makes there. it and Bob Geldof says mm. you know he was never trying to be famous or he never wanted to be famous and other people in the documentary say it as well it's like well it's just a lovely touching moment hello mates I'm Jack I'm Kenny and welcome to Rock and Roll Up the music and wrestling podcast here you'll find our weekly music and wrestling podcast with our signature wacky comedy twist so wacky expect news special episodes controversial hot takes and comedy features such as Kenny's rant Jack's joke of the week (laughs) and of course pun association musical fruit John Lemon 
So wacky. So like, comment, share and subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher and SoundCloud. You can get involved with the conversation at Rock Roll Up Pod on Twitter and at Rock and Roll Up Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Are you ready to step inside the ring with these two heavyweights? Big time. Peace out. I mean, even without the shine of the Rolling Stones, I felt that this documentary still held my interest because Bill Wyman as a character was so fascinating. No, he is. Uh, well, I just think watch the documentary. And I really liked his wife and all that home life stuff. So if you like this, Tracy? You'd like, I think, well, obviously, anything about the Rolling Stones, in fairness. Um, there are many, there's so many documentaries out there and there's so many behind the scenes in inverted commas rockumentaries about the Rolling Stones that you know all footage is great that's why this is so great because it's taking you know exactly front row seats unseen footage that no one else could possibly have access to except for Bill Wyman Mm -hmm. no one else even a manager with a video cam even an assistant with a video camera, no one could have had the access that he has. And then for Oliver Murray to come in and be trusted enough to look through all of that and cherry pick these particular pieces. I think I probably would have not slept for a year or more looking at it and trying to decide the best parts because how could you possibly pick? But he did in the end, so obviously they had a great editor and uh, a great team and you never would have seen it without that it would have just sat in the archives until maybe fast forward 50 or 60 years when there's no one left to object strongly oh, enough yeah. and it would have come out so we're very very lucky in seeing this now well the, I think. there's no uh, there's no doubt that he was handpicked and like some of the beats for me would have been um, the Art Bar concert obviously after Brian's death and I would recommend any of the stuff done by the Rhythm Kings, The Stones in the Park, the 1969 documentary, and also Give Me Shelter. Okay, well, I just want to end by saying I want to be in the archive for an hour. That's all I want. The house that he got off your man who knew the Cray twins. I want to be in that house. I know. Well, if the archive is there, that's where I want to be. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful house and I want to go in there and have a look around and see what the crack is. I just want to touch the um, the videotapes and the audio tapes and the labels and all, all of the that. different... That's fascinating to me. The rebranding of, you know, that logo that they have with the mouth with the tongue sticking out, like all the different versions of that in a display, that's something I could look at for hours amazing so yeah so that's the quiet one i would highly recommend it a dot that rocks yeah european release coming soon and uh that's it from dots that rock i'm tracy ferguson and i'm sharita darcy goodbye